About this time last year, we were doing a series in church called I Have Decided, and, and I got to share a message about I Have Decided to Serve. And in preparing for this week, I just really felt prompted and guided by God to, to re-look at that message and think about it again. And the, the thought that I shared from that as we come into 2016, as we gear up for the year, as we head towards the time in our church that we call Vision Sunday, which we re-look at the, the vision and direction of our church. But last year I shared a thought about capacity, capacity being that which we can do or that which we can produce. And, uh, and I wanted to just kind of look at that thought again today, remind us of that as we do get ready for 2016 and also just take it a little bit further on what it means for our church. But I shared from, uh, from the story in John chapter 21, which is the account of when some of the disciples decided to go fishing one day. It was a few weeks after the, Jesus had been resurrected and he'd, he'd been appearing to them and spending time with them. And, and, and as, as the account goes, that, uh, that one day Simon Peter decided he was going to go fishing. He kind of uh, got to the point where he had been waiting for the miraculous to happen, for everything that Jesus has said would happen after he was resurrected. And, and I guess he got tired of waiting, so he went fishing. Unsuccessfully fishing, which is the story of most of my fishing trips. But he and some of the disciples headed out. They spent the night out in the boat because they'd got to a point where they'd waited for Jesus to do everything that he'd said he would do but it hadn't quite come to pass. Now, who knows that when you're waiting for Jesus to do something in your life, when you're waiting for the miraculous to happen, sometimes it's really easy just to go back to the thing that you've always known. The disciples were fishermen in their previous life. This is what they'd done. So in their frustration, in their, in their, in their wait for Jesus to do everything that he said, for, the, for them to come to him and speak to him and for all that to happen, they decided just to go back to the thing that they knew, the thing that was easy, the thing that was comfortable. But I'm sure we all know that all you got to do is just wait sometimes a little bit longer for Jesus to come and everything will happen. But that's a thought for another day. So the boys go out fishing unsuccessfully, spend the whole night out in the boat. Nothing happens. The next morning, Jesus appears to them on the beach. They don't know it's him. And uh, he yells out to them, and some of you may relate to this if, if you do enjoy fishing. He yells out to them, why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat? I mean, if you've ever been fishing unsuccessfully and someone comes up to you and gives you a tip after you've been out fishing all night long when you're supposed to be the fisherman of the village... Probably not going to take it as gracefully as these guys, but I don't know, maybe it was a rough night, but they decided that they would listen to this stranger on the beach who happened to be a carpenter, not a fisherman, and throw their nets on the other side of the boat. And as we know in the story, they caught a massive haul of fish that just in that one obedience to what the master said, the whole day changed in a matter of a moment. There's so much in this story that you can go into about the time of day that historians have researched about the depth of the water that they were in, that there wasn't meant to be fish. But at the end of the day, the message that we can get out of this is that when Jesus tells us to do something, it's going to pay off. 
But the thing that I love about this story the most and why it just it sticks to me, it's like a part of my, my uh, I guess, just my thinking of everything that, that I do in ministry is that in verse 10, it says, Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've just caught. You know, you know that guy who gives you a tip and you catch a fish and then he expects some of it? It's all right, it's Jesus. Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Simon Peter joined them and he pulled the net to shore. 153 big fish. And even with all those fish, the net didn't rip. Now this stands out to me because this, the Gospel of John was written about 90 AD, which is roughly about 60 years after this happened. It's in a in a part of the world where fishing was important, where, where it was the main thing that the village did. But yet they still, after all those years, had to get so specific with the amount of fish and the size of the fish, 153, not about 150, not like most fishermen would say and, and tell you that it was about 300, but specifically 153 big fish. And I've read this story my entire life growing up in church. I've heard it a thousand times, but one day I read this and that stuck out to me. 153. It's far too specific for a fisherman. Even if you were going to round it up, you'd pick a believable number. You know, something a little bit, a little bit more, but 153. And then, then I remembered that, that in this culture, everybody would know about fishing. It was their main source of food. It was a, a commodity. It was something that they were able to trade. They lived by the sea. Everyone would know about fishing. Every fisherman would have a, every family would have a fisherman. Everyone would be aware of this. So the author, and God of course, felt it so important to note, 153 fish were caught and the net didn't break. Because everybody in that culture who was around it would know that normally 153 fish would break a net. It had to be written and recorded accurately so that the story could show that number one, not only when God, when Jesus tells you to do something, it's going to pay off. But secondly, and what I want to look at today, if he tells you to do something, if he calls out to you from the beach, it doesn't matter what your past says should be able to happen. It doesn't matter what the culture and everyone else in the village says that your nets can handle. If Jesus has instructed you to do something, then he knows the capacity of what your net can handle without breaking. And that's the thought that I want us to think about as we head into 2016, that regardless of what thoughts come into our head when the master calls us and gives us instruction, no matter we, what we think we can achieve and we can handle, no matter what we've done in the past or what we think we might do, no matter whether we have time in our schedule or not, the one who knows better than us, even more so than the nets that we handle every day, is Jesus. And when he tells us to do something, not only is it going to pay off, but it's going to do it without breaking us. And that's the thought that I want to look at today. And it is summer vibes, so we are having a short service, and which means I only have 90 minutes to preach, so we're going to move quickly. But I have a... wasn't meant to be a joke. I, I have a good friend, actually. Um, 
we all do in this, this church, and it, it's Geordie Griffiths. And he doesn't know that I'm about to talk to him today. And despite the fact that he's one of the only guys in Australia who has the legal right to bear arms, he is a very humble guy. And I love him a lot. Thanks to him, one day I might have arms like that, and I will also. But uh, Geordie, not only a good friend of mine and a friend of my family, he also happens to be uh, my coach or slash personal trainer slash uh, health and fitness accountability partner. And, um, and don't, don't judge this on his ability. He's phenomenal. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's my lack of commitment. Uh, that has that has caused progress to to go quite slow, uh, but that's why this year he's my health and fitness accountability partner, uh, keeping me in line. He made me do a hundred burpees the other day because the gym was shut and I couldn't get into the gym, but I still love him. But when I first started uh, at the gym uh, some time ago. Uh, I said to him after one of my first sessions, after I realized that I was still alive, um, that I was kind of breathing normally again and there was still hope, I, I said to him, look, if we're going to do this, you got to know that there's going to be times when I'm going to look at you like I hate you and I am planning your death. But don't worry, in that very moment, I may very well be planning your demise, but I'll get over it. And, and we'll be all good. We'll be friends again. We'll get on. It'll be sweet. And uh, if you've been to CrossFit, you know what I mean. And uh, I never realized how prophetic a statement that would be till a few months later when I did a, Jared knows it well. How you going, mate? Legs working? Arms are dead? Yeah, that's all right. You can wear sleeveless shirts soon. Uh, I didn't realize how prophetic a message that was to him till a few months later when when uh I agreed to do like a one-on-one session with him. And it's so easy to hide in a gym full of people, but when it's just you and the coach, things are a little bit different. And uh, the workout that day had, had me uh, attempting to do some sit-ups. And uh, the thing is, in my head, I had a, a capacity. I had a, an understanding of how many I believed that I could do. But the problem is the workout involved me to do a lot more and repeatedly than what I thought I could do. And in a gym full of people, you can kind of, not that I would ever do this, kind of cruise a little bit if you had to, not that I ever would. I'm not going to make eye contact with him right now because tomorrow's Monday. Uh, but, but when you're there by yourself, the coach has got his eyes on you and and, and so I thought in my head, what I'm going to do is, this, simp- this is simple, Adam's, Adam's uh, first rule of, of fitness, if it's hard, just break it into little steps. And so I thought I'd do, you know, like 25 sit-ups, have a breather, fumble through 10 more, start planning how to kill Geordie, um, and continue until I got through the amount and just hope that somehow I get through them. But, but my coach, my friend... <laughs> Um, knew me a little bit better than that. And as we got to that part of the workout, he got right down next to me, which I loved at that point in time. And he started to say to me, nicely and politely and in the way that a friend should, he started to say, you can do this. 
you can push through, you can do it. Don't stop, don't take a break, keep going, keep going, keep going. And then his intensity increased and, and he, was, he was still polite, but he was more forceful. And, and he, he continued to encourage me, but then he said something that, that really changed my entire thinking of not just doing sit-ups, but everything that we do when it comes to what the master has called us to do. Because he said to me, he said, your body is strong enough to do the amount of sit-ups that you need to do right now, but your brain is telling you that you can't. It's all in your head. It's a mind game. You need to trust your body and keep going. And, 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 and it's true. Because I think so often when we're faced with something that stretches our capacity, when the master calls us from the beach and says, throw your nets on the other side, you need to catch 153 big fish this morning, that so often we will sit there and think, hang on, never been done before. Or I tried it once and my nets broke. Or everyone else in the boat starts talking about it and saying that it can't be done. But the reality is that so often we limit ourselves to what Jesus has called us to do and the capacity that we need to achieve for Him by simply what our brain tells us that we can and can't achieve. And what the coach, because he wasn't my friend at that point, the coach Geordie said to me, it's all in your mind, it's all in your head, your body is strong enough, is exactly the message that I believe that Jesus wants us to know as His church this morning. That when He has called us to a mission, when He has instructed us from the beach, that any reason that we doubt that we can't do it is only in our head. Because if He has told us to do it, not only will it come to pass, but we will do it without breaking. We will see everything achieved that He needs us to do. So Jesus is calling us from the beach. What are we hearing the master say in 2016? I think it's interesting that I, I thought about this a lot. This, this is a message that I, we, we talk about a lot in our youth ministry team. It's, what, it's one of the three DNAs of our leadership team that we have a capacity that we need to achieve. And we talk about how, you know, if you can't hear the master calling you, if you can't hear the message of what he needs you to do, then perhaps you need to row a little bit closer to shore. Maybe you need to get a little bit closer to Him. At the start of this year, I believe that every one of us, Jesus will tell us what He needs us to do for His church in this year and beyond. And if we can't hear His voice, then maybe we've rowed a little bit too far away. Maybe we need to get on the paddles or the rowing machine and get in a little bit closer to shore so we can hear what He's saying to us. Or maybe we need to remove some of the distractions or noise in our life. I got these new earphones this week. I decided to spoil myself. My wife and kids went on a holiday, so I spent money. <laughs> and uh, and they're, they're awesome. The little earphones that go in your ear, but they're Bluetooth, so there's no cable and stuff like that. But the best thing about them is that they're noise cancelling, so you can't hear anything else. And yesterday I was, uh, I was hosing down our back concrete because um, we got a dog <laughs> and having a, a puppy and nice concrete that's clean and free of landmines is not, is not something that um, can go in hand. And I, I kind of forgot about that when I decided to get a dog. 
but the reason why I'm not making eye contact this way is because my wife didn't forget and she reminds me often about it. But I was hosing down the concrete yesterday and, um, and our friend Ellie was over and, and apparently I had my music going in my fancy new earphones and apparently she was saying goodbye to me and I couldn't hear her because everything was blocked out but the noise in my head. So at this time of the year in 2016, if you can't hear the master, before you set any New Year's resolution, before you create any goal, hear the master's voice of what he needs you to do for his church this year. And if you can't hear him, row a little bit closer. Get rid of a bit of the noise in your head in the boat around you that's distracting you. Spend a bit of time focusing on him. But I want to switch it up just a little bit now because we've been talking about ourselves as individuals and what Jesus needs us to do as individuals and the capacity that we have. But in a few weeks, we're going to revisit and and re-look at and remind ourselves of the vision of North Lakes Church. Pam and Jess are going to take us through that and, and talk about being the church and what that means for us this year. And uh. And, and I, so I want to think about that as a church, not just a bunch of individuals with a capacity and a, a message from the master of what we need to do, but what about us as Northeast? Ephesians 4 talks about unity in the body of Christ and all the different gifts that Jesus has given the church. And in verse 16, he says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Look at the person next to you and tell them that you have a part to play. Because everything that, everything that we have to do as individuals, I believe, has a part to play in the church. I know some of you are shocked He looked at the person next to you and went, oh my goodness, we are in trouble. (laughs) But see, I believe, so back to what I mentioned about like the DNA of our youth leadership team, we have three things that we kind of call the basis of everything that we believe in our leadership team. And, And I believe they're very applicable right now. They're all based on a biblical principle. But the first one is that we're not here by chance, we're here for this time that God has positioned us at this time. We look at the story of Esther for that, that maybe just perhaps for this moment we were brought to the kingdom. You might have had an idea of why you ended up in Northeast. Someone invited you, you had a friend here, you just stumbled across it, you went to the carols one year and they were amazing, whatever it might be. You might have had a plan for how you got here. But see, I believe that God positions everybody for a purpose and for a time. And the reason why we're in this big group together, this gathering, this place we call Northeast, is because we all play a part in seeing a vision come to pass. The second thing that we talk about is we call it square peg, square hole. And it goes back to that game as a kid where you've got to try and find the right shape for the hole and then get it into the toy and you, know, you can't jam the wrong one into the, the wrong size or it's not going to work. And that's the second part of our DNA, that, that we all have a particular set of skills. Not like taken, ones that are, ones that are good. Uh, for, for the part that we play in the church, there's something that we're being gifted with 
skills and talents that we contribute in this time to play a part for the church. And the third one is that we have a capacity that we have to achieve. And as when we as individuals all achieve our capacity, believing that we're here for a time that we have a particular role that we need to play, then we see the vision and the dream and what God wants us to do come to pass. And I believe that applies for North Lakes as well. Every one of us is here because God positioned us here. Every one of us has a particular set of skills and gifts and talents that we are to use, like it says in Ephesians 4, that each part does its own special work, so it helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing full of love. And I, when I think about this and when I explain it to people, I, I use the analogy of a gridiron team. Now, I know that we're Australians and it's like in our constitution to not understand gridiron because I was talking to Phil Lager about this last week and I said, I want to talk to you about gridiron. And he started going, well, there's four downs. And I'm like, I don't need to understand that. I just want to ask a few questions. I, I just don't understand it. But I think there's something very unique about a gridiron team and the way that it works that, that I think relates so well to the church. I mean, you think about cricket. We understand cricket in Australia. You can be the best bowler on the team, but to be in a cricket team, you still need to know how to field, how to catch a ball, how to throw a ball, and how to have a half-decent crack at hitting a ball when needed. If you play rugby league, you might be the best front rower on the team, but you still need to know how to run, how to pass a ball, throw a ball, tackle someone, have a half-decent kick on you. But gridiron is the classic example of you've got one job to do. (laughs) One job. In, In gridiron, if you ever need to kick a ball, they stop the game. Some guy gets off his playing World of Warcraft on his iPad and runs onto the field, kicks the ball, and then heads back to the bench. It's the classic case of one job. One job to do. You are, if you're the blocker on the team, which is the, the big guys, your job is to block people. Clever. But you don't need to know how to kick a ball, pass a ball, catch a ball. I mean, you might not even ever touch the ball in the game. You've got one job to do, stop the enemy getting through. If you're a running back, you need to know how to do two things, run fast and catch a ball while running fast. That's all you need to do. A gridiron team even has two teams within it. If possession of the ball changes, the offensive team runs off, sits on the bench, eats cucumber sandwiches and sips tea, and the the defensive team runs on. Gridiron is the classic case of you've got one job to do, one set of skills. You are a square peg for a square hole. You find your spot on the field and you do that job. And that's why I believe that it's a great analogy for how we are as a church. You know, we have a coach who is Jesus. Caleb. There we go. Our favorite coach. We have a coach who is Jesus Christ. It's from the water boy. Most of you are probably thinking, what's Fonzie doing on the screen? Where's his leather jacket? But we have a coach who is Jesus Christ. And and the coach picks people for where they fit best on the field. 
He looks at the, the timing that they are to be part of the selection, i.e. us here in church. He looks at the gifts and the skills and the talents that came from him in the first place, but he positions us on the field of where we need to be. He then gives us a strategy, a vision, a dream, a goal, something that we need to go and do for the whole purpose of achieving getting the ball across the line, getting a, a touchdown, getting, seeing the vision of North Lakes come to pass. And that's why I believe it relates so well to the church. So every one of us is a player on a gridiron field, positioned for what we do best, so that when the coach hands the ball to the quarterback, that the church as a whole can run the strategy and see a touchdown come to pass, but it relies upon us or having our uniform on, listening to the voice of the coach, not that uniform, listening to the voice of the coach, being on the field, being in position, getting ready for the strategy to come to pass so that we can see the vision of North Lakes come to pass. You know, I think about street safe salvos. Street safe salvos is, is a strategy that Jesus gave this church and said, here's a way that you can go and be the church in the community. Here's all the particular people that I am positioning on the field for them to go. Puts the ball into play. The strategy gets run and the touchdown gets achieved. All because there was a group of people here who heard the master's voice understood that they had a capacity, got themselves into the game, ran the strategy. You know, when we first started Street Safe Salvos, there, was, there were weeks where there were lots of reports. There were lots of, not lots of, but there was the occasional requirement to call an ambulance or to get the police there or to get multiple teams or to take people to the hospital. You know, the last few weeks, whenever... I asked someone if I wasn't on, how was last night? Do you know what they say? So it was quiet. I know red frogs, they call it a healthy night because there's nothing really to report on, just good engagements and just helping people out. Now, I think it's easy for us to say, well, maybe the time of year, maybe it's just what's been happening. You know, there's no predictability. But maybe we could just say, that a year ago, a group of people heard the strategy that came from God, got themselves into position, ran the play, did the thing that they needed to do on the field, and now they're not quiet nights because of anything that's happening in the city. They're quiet nights because the culture and the climate of the city is changing, because there is a church out there that is bringing salt and light to a church, but they're listening to the master's voice and they're out there doing exactly what he's told them to do, whether they believe within their capacity they can achieve it or not. Street safe salvos. So I just feel as we, as we get ready for 2016, as we start to look towards a vision of what our church is going to be, I want to challenge us this morning on this thought. What is the master calling you to do? this year? What instruction are you receiving from the beach right now of where to throw your nets, where to use your time, 
were to get yourself on the field. If you can't hear him, row a little bit closer. Get rid of some of the noise in your life. Swap one episode of Netflix for some quiet time. Yes, I went there. We've got a vision coming up in a few weeks. We've got a church fast the week before. An amazing time to row a little bit closer. But let's hear the voice of the master this year. Let's all be on the field ready to go. Because the thing I was talking with Phil Lager, who's our resident expert on all things American, uh, because he's American, um, about gridiron. And we were talking about the flow of the game and how it worked. And, and, um, and it made me realize that well, we, we, de- we determined that everything that the players do on the field is about protecting that ball and getting it across the line. The ball, which is our vision as a church, to go and be the church. Every player on that field is protecting that and making it happen. And I thought about the blockers. The blocker is, is the person who stands there and when the quarterback receives the ball and they're waiting for the, the running back to, to get through the clear so they can throw them the ball, the blocker is holding back the enemy. They're stopping the objective of the other team, which is to come across and sack the quarterback so they can take the ball out of the game and so it doesn't come to play. I thought about what would happen if, if the blocker decided that they didn't want to play that day. The coach said, I've called you to this team for a time. I've given you incredible size to be able to block people. And I need you to go out and your part of the strategy is to protect the quarterback. If that didn't happen... If the blocker decided to go and see a movie that day or decided that no, they didn't have the capacity to do it, that their nets would break, then it leaves a whole gap in what God was trying to achieve. Not only that, in in the case of a blocker, it lets the opposition through to take the ball out. See, every one of us plays a part in this church. Ephesians 4, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Let's not be a jigsaw puzzle this year of a church with a few pieces missing. Because as it says, each part does its own special work. Only you can do the thing that God has called you to do. He's got something special for you to do. It helps the other parts grow. We're stronger because we all work together so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Before you make another New Year's resolution before you set another goal this year. Before we get to Vision Sunday, take some time to hear what the Master is telling you for 2016 and trust that no matter what He tells you to do, no matter what the voices around you and inside your head tell you, is that if He has instructed you to do it, then He knows, not believes, He knows that you have the capacity to do it without your nets breaking this year. Let me pray for you as the band comes and then we will go and party at the Margax after we worship for a little bit. But Lord, we thank you that that, uh, you bring purpose to everything that we do, that we're not here just gathered for the sake of gathering, but we are here under your name with a mission to see 
this church influenced this city and belong with a message of hope and the message of salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. So Lord, we pray that as a church this year, that we would fit together, that we would all play our part, that we would see incredible things happen, that we would see strategies come to pass, that we would see goals achieved, that we would see a difference in our community and our city by what we achieved this year. And Lord, as individuals, I pray that you would speak to us that you would give us clear instruction. Guide us to bring, to bring us closer to you, to remove the distractions in our life so that this year we may see a great work done under your name and in your name in this place. We thank you, Lord. Amen.